This is Real Estate Rookie episode 261. I think a big part of my journey really started with not understanding what debt was when I went to school, my undergrad, not really understanding um, what it meant to get a car loan right before I graduated, um, and then having finished school and having $100,000 of debt. I did go through like the Dave Ramsey baby steps to get rid of my debt, um, and that took about two years, which was around the same time. I actually bought my first property um, as a duplex and I did the house hacking for that property. My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And today I wanna to shout out someone by the username of Shep34. They said, must download if you want financial freedom. The Real Estate Rookie is the best real estate podcast out there with invaluable information that has helped me grow my portfolio. I've learned so much over the last year from Ashley and Tony to work towards financial freedom. To top it off, my eight-year-old daughter will even listen to it with me because she loves Ashley. She always says she sounds so happy and she's already sharing ideas to buy empty stores and rent them as offices. So if you haven't yet, please do leave us an honest rating and review on whatever podcast platform as you're listening to uh, the more views we get more folks we can help and helping folks that we want to do but Ashley how do you feel inspiring young eight-year-old girls out there to jump into the world of real estate investing Tony since this airs the day after Valentine's Day all I have to say is I don't even need a Valentine this year all I have to do is go and read your guys love notes to me on, <laughs> on the podcast reviews so thank you so much but I okay that is so cool like I love getting kids involved and like interested into what is going on here. And um, yeah, so, so exciting. And um, thank you so much for sharing that with us. So if you're listening, eight-year-old girl, there you go. thank you so much uh, for listening. And we can't wait to have you on the, the show as a guest sometime. Uh, cool. What else is going on, Ashley? How, how are things in your neck of the woods? Good. Um, we just had a blizzard here about a, a week ago. Crazy uh, blizzard, right? Like, oh yeah. my goodness. I I was I don't know what I was doing, but I went to go and look at my phone and I had like 10 text messages of people asking if I was okay. They're like, oh, it must have hit national news. <laughs> but it actually just missed our house. Like we were very south of it. Um, we had the really bad winds and snow was blowing, but we barely got any snow. So we didn't have or like really high drifts or anything like that. So we spent the days snowboarding, um, ice skating. The We had a deep freeze also at the same time. So the pond froze over at one of my properties. So we turned it into an ice skating rink. That was super fun. Uh, so we had two properties that had some damage from the storm, uh, just one having ice build up on the roof and then leaking in. And then also um, one of the rehabs we're doing right now, there's just like three inches of pipe of water sticking out of the ground and we didn't have any of the water actually hooked up. Well, somehow the furnace got shut off. Um, we think the flipped, the switch was flipped on the breaker or something, or it's a brand new furnace. Well, then the furnace froze, so we couldn't get it to restart. Well, then when we finally got it restarted, the plumbers came and actually dethawed the furnace. We put a heater on it, an electric heater. Then when that started working again, the water in the pipe that had froze, it's cracked the pipe. And I put a picture of it on my Instagram. I mean, it was a pretty like 
good crack into this metal piping. And um, so it was spraying out everywhere. Luckily, the flooring wasn't down yet. And it didn't, We there's another cabin on the property where my business partner is actually living. So he had happened to just like stop in and see if the furnace had turned on yet or what was going on. And he saw the water spraying. So he was able to do a fix with that. And we got it taken care of um, right away. But so we, I think we were lucky compared to a lot of people as far as the the storm damage that happened. Yeah, I mean, since we're since we're sharing horror stories, I got a I got two quick ones. So this Christmas was like super crazy for us because we have properties that are on the East Coast as well. Um, we had water outages, we had power outages, and not just like for a day, like the water, like our pipes froze, and this is the first time it ever happened to us as well. And we didn't even know what to do. Like we're in, we're Californians, like that's never happened to us in our life. So we're like, what do you do when the pipes freeze? So like we have our handyman out there trying to like dethaw dethaw the the pipes and all these other things. But anyway, we found out there's a lot of things you can do moving forward to to kind of um, prevent that from happening. But then in our California properties, um, we have propane tanks. And um, we paid extra to have uh, meters on the propane tanks that the propane company can measure the levels and they just refill it as it gets below like 25%. On two of our properties, the meters were broken. So the properties went without gas. The gas company was never notified. And because it was the holiday, we had families that were there over Christmas weekend that didn't have gas at the property. So it was a, it was a, terrible Christmas from like a property perspective. So, um, just, you know, another day in the life. (laughs) Well, like one of the things I know for the, to do the, the pipes is to, you leave a little water trickling, like you turn the faucet on a little bit to help that happen. But what about the propane issue is like, how do you, I mean, how do you even like prevent that from happening? I mean, if they break, are you having every time the cleaners come now, they're checking to make sure the gauge is still working? Or It was the company. What? I think it was the company because both those tanks are with the same company. Um, and it happened in, it happened in two separate places. It was, it was one in Tennessee where it was, I won't say the name of the company, but it was that company in Tennessee and that same company in California. So I think whatever they're doing with their meters just like isn't accurate. So we're, we're firing that company. We're, we're replacing them with local companies that um, have better customer service. So. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. 
If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Well, today we have an exciting guest on the show. We have a guest from the reality TV show Love is Blind season three. We have Nancy Rodriguez on to talk about her investing journey. So she started investing seven years ago. Um, She's done a focus on house hacking, short-term rentals, but she's here to talk about how she actually started out with Dave Ramsey and getting her own finances in order and how she built her portfolio. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't watch a lot of reality TV, um, but Love is Blind season three is actually one that I did watch. Um, So I was excited to chat with Nancy. And and like you said, she, she started investing before... Um, Love is Blind even premiered. So don't listen to this episode thinking like, oh, she only did that because she was, you know, this famous TV person. She had a lot of hard work and she invested a lot of her time, her energy into building this foundation far before Love is Blind to allow her to start investing in real estate. So there's a lot of really good nuggets throughout this episode. But one of the things that I really loved that Nancy talked about, two things. One was how she handled squatters and hoarders that were living in her property before she purchased them and how she got both of those people to leave the property peacefully and with the property in good condition. She did it not once but twice. And the second thing she talks about is NACA and this loan program that she used to purchase one of her her property. So two really good things to listen to um, in this episode. Nancy, welcome to the show. For everyone listening, you may recognize Nancy from Love is Blind season three. And that is where we found out that Nancy invests in real estate. It came up on the show and you've actually been doing it for seven years, which is amazing. So Nancy, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say I am so excited to be here, first of all, because part of the whole like podcast era, right? Like for me, that has been like the last 10 years really focusing on where does my mentorship come from when I don't have a close friend or a family member who knows about what I want to learn? So for me, like bigger podcast, uh, bigger pockets has always been like a podcast that I've either gone to or, um, really starting with Dave Ramsey and then, um, just kind of working my way through like the different types of streams and episodes that y'all have. So thank you so much for having this platform for us, like people who truly want to DIY a dream (laughs) and really put it to life. And so, um, I think a big part of my journey really started with not understanding what debt was when I went to school, my undergrad, not really understanding um, what it meant to get a car loan right before I graduated. Um, And then having finished school and having $100,000 of debt and realizing that now I have a career as a speech pathologist and like, what am I going to do with this? So um, I think for me, it was realizing that I was in a position where I could make a change in my family, like 
the thinking of what money is and how it will change your life if you treat money differently or if you learn about it. And so um, I did go through like the Dave Ramsey baby steps to get rid of my debt. Um, And that took about two years, which was around the same time. I actually bought my first property um, as a duplex and I did the house hacking for that property. And that actually afforded me the opportunity to save up so much money in two years that I was able to pay off my $100,000 of debt. That by itself is super impressive. Yeah. $100,000 in two years is, is super impressive. But Nancy, I want to go back because you you talked about Dave Ramsey. And I think a lot of people kind of start in in that community. But Dave obviously, you know, preaches no debt. You know, if you want to buy real estate, 15% down, you know, do this, do that. So being a real estate investor, um, or, you know, like making that your full-time thing sometimes is at odds with what Dave Ramsey preaches. So like, how did you transition from being, you know, Dave Ramsey disciple to being an actual real estate investor? Um, so it's funny because in that same process that I was going through the baby steps, I was also reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> so it was the idea of like, okay, like, um, it's, I guess the way that I really saw it was, it's kind of like um, the general rule of don't eat the cookies. Like, don't eat the cookies. Cookies are bad. So then no one's going to eat the cookies. But what if I just eat, like, half of a cookie and I can control myself and I can, like, you know, um, eat the other half tomorrow, right? So I think having that concept of understanding what it meant to be debt-free fully, having that feeling, and then also knowing, but now that I'm debt-free, like, what can I do next? And then that's when I really kind of just try to in the smartest way possible, still be debt-free, but then figure out like, okay, well, the next deal maybe can't be um, cash only. It's going to have to be with a mortgage. And I think understanding the concept of um, having a mortgage be um, not so much of a liability because it was an income-producing property, I think that's really what changed the mindset as well. And during kind of this Dave Ramsey transition, did you already own your own home or did you purchase your first home, not even an investment property um, before or after Dave Ramsey? Yeah. So the Dave Ramsey era started, um, it was, it's funny because I did not, when I graduated in 2014, I was 25, 24, and I didn't think that, oh, in the next couple of years, I want to buy property. So that wasn't on my on my mind because I had $100,000 of debt. So I knew that there was like, I need to like slow my horse. So, um, so what happened is that I actually, two years into being a speech pathologist, I actually heard about a program called NACA. And it was just like a dinner that I had gone to um, with a realtor and then the other guy was a wholesaler and then uh, his wife um, was also a wholesaler. So they just like randomly said like, hey, we're going to this NACA meeting tomorrow. Like, do you want to come? So went to this NACA meeting and was super excited about being a homeowner. That was like the idea. Oh my gosh, like I could actually have my own home and you guys don't care about um, the certain qualifications that they have is you can have debt. You just can't have debt in collections. Um, and then other benefits are they pay for your closing costs. You get the lowest interest rate. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, I said they pay for your closing costs. And I had no down payment. And it's zero down payment. Yes, it's a zero down payment. So the really cool thing about that process is that when I was learning about Dave Ramsey and learning about investing in general, it was all like either 
through hearsay, but nothing that I had actually done. So when I went through the NACA program, it was about a, I want to say six to 10 month process. Like from the day I got, um, I went to my meeting to the day that I got approved. And then once you're approved, then you have to go through the home buying process, right? Like put in 20 offers, um, before I was actually able to get, um, a deal locked down. So what happened is that in the NACA program, it is a very stringent program. They are very into your finances. They want to know exactly what money's coming in and what's coming out. So for the NACA program, it was so stringent on budgeting and monthly finances. And because I had put in so many offers, I just wasn't getting the houses that I was putting offers for. So I kept saving and then saving and then saving. So, you know, six to 10 months later, you're like, oh my gosh, I have all this money, just lump sum and I don't have a down payment. Oh, one more, one more like um, thing that I took advantage of is they actually allow you to roll in repairs into your loan, which is a really neat feature. Um, again, just knowing, okay, if I'm going to get a property, um, and I, and there are some, even if it's just cosmetic, like I want to paint the house or whatever it might be, um, they will actually allow with certain restrictions, they will allow you to roll in the, the, the loan, the repairs, roll it into the, the loan. So once I close on the house and again, no down payment, I think my closing costs, because I did have some fees that I had to pay. I think it was like a thousand dollars, um, that I had to come to closing with, um, and proof of reserves. Not that I, we, I was going to use the reserves, but just the proof of six, I think it's three to six months of reserves that I had saved up. Um, and I closed on the property. So at this point, I went through the NACA program that really kept me tied on my budget. And I was at the same time listening to Dave Ramsey and, and you know, um, Bigger Pockets and, and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad that I knew at that point, I was like, okay, it's time to close on this house, which I did. And the very next day, I had all this money saved up that I knew that the only other option, which I could have done so many things with that because you think like, oh, I bought my house. Like, let me go on a vacation and like congratulate myself. But no, I hurt so bad, but it also felt so good to write those checks to like my loan agencies from school, my car note. I went in um, to the bank for that one um, to like just write a $14,000 check and hand it over. And they were like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of like where that um, process I think happened with the doing the debt free, wanting to really understand where my um, finances were going. And then once I was able to pay everything off, it launched the rest of my real estate career. Nancy, what what a fantastic story. And I, I just want to talk about NACA just a little bit because it it is such a great tool, um, not just for you know primary residents, but for investors as well. And I know other investors who have used NACA to buy small multifamily to where they're house hacking with NACA loans. And it's a great tool, but it is super stringent. And my wife and I, when we were searching for our primary residence, we went through the NACA process as well. We got approved through NACA, but it was so difficult to find a property that kind of met their criteria. We just ended up giving up. But um, if you can, I just want to recap the benefits of using NACA for folks who might've missed it. Um, it's, it's no down payment. So they're 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 covering 100% of the purchase price. They cover your the majority of your closing costs, and the interest rates are typically like lower than prevailing interest rates. I just looked up NACA's website right now. They always post um, what the market 
uh, rates are. And right now they're at a 5.6 on a 30 year fixed. Ash, have you closed in anything recently, like using personal debt? Like, do you know where rates are right now on the personal side? Yeah, actually I do. Um, for, if you want, I can just pull it up real quick. Yeah. We closed in a cabinet like six and a half. So almost a whole point higher than the NACA what have you closed on at recently? So I did a commercial loan and I did it for a 10 year or I did it a five year fixed, um, 20 year amortization. And that was at 7.4%. But then I just got a quote for, um, a personal loan. There was a current rate for a 30 year is six and a half percent, 20 year, 6.375% and 15 year, 6%. But then they also offered an ARM mortgage, a 5-1 ARM at 3.625%, and then a 7-1 ARM, which would be, um, let's see, where's the 7, would be at 3.875% for the first seven years. So NACA's great. You get a 30-year fixed a point typically lower than what prevailing interest rates are. And it's a great product. So Nancy, you actually closed on the NACA loan and bought your your primary residence, right? That, that's what you said. And through that process, how you saved up all these this money to go out and do these other things. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other um, benefits too, because once I did the program, I was spreading the word like the bird. I was like telling everyone who was a first time home buyer, like you can do this, like, but just, you know, be stringent about all the rules and the regulations. So I actually, I had a friend who did did the same program, NACA, in Chicago. Um, and I think he ended up buying, um, I forget what the details are, but when he closed on his NACA property, they actually matched his buy down points. So his interest rate at the end of all the buying down and what they were able to match, you have to qualify for the match. But um, once you do, his interest rate was 0.025, something insane. And this was years ago. This is years ago. Um, but a friend, just to kind of give some light, a friend closed on a, a, NACA prop, a NACA loan last summer in Florida, and she got her interest rate down to 1.25, I believe, with the matching of the buy down because they they qualified for it. So yeah, there's other other benefits too that um, they, they don't actually really advertise that part of it because I think the main thing is just really getting people who are first time homebuyers to understand their finances like what are you making what is what is going on every single month and um being able to educate the NACA um mortgagee uh I guess um uh, people who are accepting the naked uh, mortgages um, on how to manage that on a month to month basis and how to qualify through that process. So it is actually very educational. I don't know if you got that too, Tony, from like uh, learning about, you know, the payment shock process and what it is of how much can you actually afford and the underwriting that they do for mortgages is um, much more detailed than what I've closed on tons of properties at this point, and the NACA loan approval process was by far the absolute worst. Like the amount of documents that they asked for, like the the level of detail that they go into your personal life is insane. But at the end of the day, you get a really cool loan product. So Nancy, I guess let's talk a little bit more, right? So you you go through this process with NACA, you get your your primary residence. Is it what else are you doing to kind of build that that big pile of cash you have at the end? Is it just that you're saving money from your your job or are you doing other things to kind of help subsidize and, and build that 
that nest egg a little faster? Yeah. So um, what happened um, once I closed on the property and I paid all the debt off? Is that what you mean? Like what happened next? Yeah. So what happened next is that uh, I closed on a duplex. So when I was living on one side, I had no rent. And the tenant at the time, she had been there for about 10 years. Um, so she was just paying normal rent, um, actually way below market rent. So I gave her some time and I, and I gave her a deal. I said, look, if you want to renew, um, and she was month to month, I gave her the option to renew at a higher, if she wanted to stay for three years, she would get a higher, um, monthly rent payment. But if she didn't want to renew or if she wanted to go month to month, I, I, I believe that is what it was. I made it, um, I gave her the option. I, I wanted her to leave <laughs> is what I was trying to say. I wanted her to, to terminate the lease because she had been there for 10 years and been paying really low rent. So, um, although she wanted a long-term lease, I made that one, um, more expensive versus the, uh, month to month. So because she wanted month, to month, she ended up just moving out six months after. Um, so th- then I was able to um, save at that point because rent was coming in from the duplex. Anything that I was making from the one or two jobs or three jobs that I had at that time was really just saving it up for the next deal. And then the next deal was a $40,000 duplex that was uh, that had burn damage. And squatters. <laughs> it came with squatters and burn damage. Um, and so I think I think it was just really seeing that in six months, I believe it was about a six-month um, timeline from the closing. Um, I guess within, within at least the next six to ten months I was when the next property was purchased. But again, buying ugly, buying, um, you know, with squatters, it was on the market for a while. And at that point, 40000 was attainable just to purchase the, the property. Nancy, how did you get the courage to jump into a property that had squatters, that had fire damage? What, what was kind of your mindset behind that as to okay, I can make this beautiful and I can rent it out. What's so funny is that that day that I wanted to go see the property, I I got ready. Um, the realtor that was working with me, um, he came as well. And we were ready. We, we had a game plan because the listing actually said, you know, in the description section, by the way, it comes with squatters. Um, so... Uh, I was, uh, so we would go to the property and they were having a garage sale. So I was like, okay, this is my point of like contact. I'm going to buy some stuff from their garage sale, not tell them that I'm here for like the house, but just like I bought a ladder. Don't know where they got a ladder from. Um, I bought like some random like tools that they had and like some stuff. And then I gave them like a $10 tip or something. And then um, slowly just kind of talking with them. They were really nice people. They were just in a really rough place that um, at that time, they they just weren't ready to leave the house. So getting to know them on that first initial visit was was the, I think, what sweetened the deal for them. Um, once I closed on the property, what I did is I actually hired them to do the demo work. And so um, we made a deal that like, okay, we have this many weeks and I want you, I'm going to pay you this much on a weekly basis as long as the progress is being done on the house. And after this demo is done, you have to move out. And they agreed to it. So I think it was just really seeing them as, as people and seeing them as, you know, just um, you're going through something and I have the ability to help you get 
to the next phase or the next transition. Um, so the, the squatter, I actually don't know their real names. I just know that the guy's name is Buzz and the wife was, um, big baby. So Buzz and big baby were, were my friends for a while. (laughs) Ashley, out of all the guests we've interviewed on this podcast, have you ever heard of a situation where squatters not only happily leave your property, but they fix it for you before they leave? No, (laughs) I think this is a a new record. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is probably like the best situation with squatters that I've I've ever had. We, uh, we bought a property over the the summer last year that had squatters in it and it was, it was tough trying to get those people out. So the fact that you, you found a very peaceful and mutually beneficial way to get them out is, is fantastic. But I, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You kind of mentioned it briefly, but you said that you were working two or, or three jobs at the time. Um, I guess, what was the motivation for, for doing that? And did those funds maybe go towards like this rehab job you just talked about? Or, or what was the purpose of those, you know, working so many jobs at, at one time? You know, it's funny because I, I think for me, it's always been a baseline to have if you have extra time, you work. And I think that's something that comes from like my mom and dad's like um, work ethic. They're both immigrants from Mexico. And so for them, it was always, if I'm not at, if I'm not at home with the kids, like I should be working Um, or vice versa. Like um, my mom would work um, the night shift and then my dad would work the day shift. So like even just switching off jobs. So I think that mentality has always kind of been in my ingrained in like if you want something to happen, like how do you do that and how do you make that possible? So the reason that I actually continued to have multiple jobs after I got my career as a speech pathologist is because I literally had extra time. And so, um, I knew that with the next deal that, uh, that $40,000 duplex, um, I knew that the funds to pay for the rehab was going to come from my pocket. So then again, it just gave me more motivation to uh, have a second job as a speech pathologist, um, continue my job online as a research analyst. Um, And then actually at the time, I think that was about the last year that I was able to do uh, my egg donation. Um, And so I qualified one last time for egg donating. So that was like another form of income that was coming in, um, on that last year. So yeah, I, it's, it, it just kind of seems like that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, at least until I recently got into the last two years, I've been full-time real estate and it's kind of nice to be like, Oh, this is kind of like my only job. Like I don't have to go to work anywhere else. Like this is like as easy as it gets. Um, but it took, it took a long time to get to a place where like, I don't, And even now, like now I'm back to like having multiple forms of income, which is so good. But but again, like it's it's I think it's just a mentality. Yeah, I mean, I I love that, right? Because you you have this strong kind of financial fundamental foundation between watching your parents. You talked about like the Dave Ramsey piece and, and wanting to pay off the debt. But what was your relationship with money and work like growing up? Like, was it was that always how it was? Or was it once you realized you had this this burden of debt? Like, what was it for you growing up? No, I think um, I think money has always been a topic that my family never spoke about. And um, and I think, in, unfortunately, although my parents were trying to protect us, like I didn't know why we were going to like this church on Christmas where like our names were being called and like we were coming up to like get gifts. Like I didn't know that that was like the lower income families that were going to 
like that, that was our Christmas gift that year. Um, so I think our family just didn't really have the concept of, Hey, it's okay to talk about these problems at home. Um, and all we saw was the product of it. Like we saw that there was food on the table. We saw that, you know, mom and dad were always working jobs. So I think for me, as I got older, like my first job was at 12 working at my godparents' restaurant, busing tables on weekends. Um, when I wasn't in school. So I think for me, um, the concept of money was always just work until you have to like save and then you spend what you work. And there's no real concept of investing. And so because you don't have the funds to do that. Um, but again, like I think as a as a young 12 year old, like I knew I wanted to go to the dance and buy the dress that I wanted. So I was like, OK, well, I'm going to work every weekend until I save up the money to do that. Um, I will say one of my favorite memories, like looking back at when I started looking at money and like wanting to do things was, uh, I had just moved to Texas and I was in third grade and I wanted to get my dad a father's day gift, but we had no money. So I hosted a garage sale and I just like grabbed a bunch of random things in the house and my mom was okay with me, like getting, giving away and, uh, or I guess a selling and I made like 30 bucks. I bought him like a razor. He was so like excited, like an electric razor, like not the, you know, the plastic ones. And, um, so yeah, I think for me, the, the concept was always, you just work until you don't have any extra time left. Um, I think where really things turned around was realizing that in after grad school and having a hundred thousand dollars that I owed to someone that fear of what happens if I can't afford to pay this next, like thankfully I have a career as a speech pathologist, but what if something happens? Um, and so I think having that mindset, what Dave Ramsey did was really like, I call him uncle Dave <laughs> because I do feel like, I do feel like he was like my guiding light to like the right way of, understanding money and understanding what it means to be financially free. And then when I actually saw being financially free, the cash flow that was coming in and again, saving for the next property and then that cash flow coming in and then it's like, okay, I guess that there's another deal coming up and then that cash flow coming in. Um, I think that was where I really started to mold my concept of finances. Yeah. Nancy, what a, what a great story. And what you talked about is, you know, I feel like there are parallels in, in how I grew up as well, where like, you know, we money was was scarce growing up, right? And I feel like you develop a certain mindset around that. But I think what's more difficult is that when you grow up in, in, a, in a an environment where money is scarce, you develop a certain mentality. And the people around you tend to carry that same mentality as well. And it can be kind of hard at times to, uh, I guess, surround yourself with people who have the mentality of someone who wants to be successful and someone who believes that success and wealth and all these other things can actually happen. So uh, all that to say, how how has your circle changed as you've kind of gone through this mental shift? Like, do you find yourself maybe cutting people out that you used to associate with and, you know, maybe latched on to people that are of a different mindset? Just how has that changed for you personally? Yeah, you know what's what's really cool is that um once I became debt free and that was like 2016 that that was when I closed on my duplex. Um when I became debt free, again, I was preaching the word to to all the like a bird, like just telling everybody, "Oh my gosh, like this is like 
it feels so amazing to be debt free. And so I, I had a conversation with my mom and I remember she was one of the first ones that I, I really pushed or convinced to see the light and having these kinds of conversations. Um, how much do you owe on your house? What's left on your car? How many, how many credit cards do you have open? What kinds of credit cards do you have? That was, so I was what, 26 at the time. And that was the first time we had ever had any kind of conversations that way. Um, I will say that I'm super thankful that uh, at the time I was in a relationship um, where my partner and I, we were just very much so on the same page to learn about that and to change what we grew up learning. Um, and he was also a realtor and uh, my business partner. So essentially like having that rock um, as part of our foundation is actually what actually kept our relationship the strongest was that we truly wanted to learn and believe that um, financial freedom could get us so much more in real estate investing. And so, um, that carried on to talking to my dad about real estate. And so I feel like where I'm at now, I'll be really transparent. Like, I don't feel like I, I have like a friend that I can just be like, Hey, like we need to talk about, like, I have these ideas, you know? Um, so, so I do have my business partner. Um, I have podcasts that I listen to and I, you know, kind of like use that as like a sounding board. Um, but not that you guys are talking back to me, but like, you know, just kind of like looking for, um, like if I'm like, Oh, I want to buy an apartment complex. Like, how do I do that? I literally just go online and I start looking up, um, bigger podcasts, bigger pockets, podcasts, like episodes that have that. Nancy, I can relate so much to what you're saying. I started investing seven, eight years ago too. And I didn't know anyone in my area. My first business partner, he's like, I just want to invest the money. You do everything. I don't even want to talk about it or anything. <laughs> so it was a very lonely process starting out. The same thing, like it took me a couple of years to find bigger pockets. And even now there's not a ton of investors um, in my area that I have to like talk to in person. I literally hang out with my business partner every single day because all I like to do is talk about real estate. So we go every day and then it's so fun going to conferences. And then I have friends across the country who are in real estate. And now with me being on the podcast, you know, people have reached out to me in my area and be like, Hey, I've actually been investing for several years too. Like let's get together, let's connect. And so I've built some friendships and relationships that way, but, um, it can be, like a very strange transition from going to hanging out with your usual friends to where you only want to talk about real estate and, you know, focus on things and not go out drinking and partying and doing all these other things that your friends may be doing, or even just, and like, this sounds awful to say, but another investor that I'm really good friends with, she's a mom too. And we just like say, like, we just can't, stand to go and talk to you about your kids or our kids. Like we like to talk about our kids, you know, with our, you know, their dads and stuff like that. And like with our kids, but like when we're going out, we want to talk about real estate, building a business, things like that. We don't, I, I'm so sorry, but we don't care what funny thing your child did that day. <laughs> and it sounds awful to say, but it's just like, you know, it's, you get into this kind of pattern and you start to realize there's other people out there that have the same mindset, the same things they, you know, enjoy and just, it can propel you and give you that momentum and just energize you. And of course it's important to have hobbies and doing things outside of just business and real estate, but, um, having that like group of like-minded people and Pace Morby has been talking about that a lot. He's a 
really interesting investor and out of Arizona. And he talks a, a lot about how his circle has changed so much because he's like, I want people who are going to push me and grow and help me be my best. Um, and he's like, I've had to change my friendships based upon that too. So no, definitely. And I think, um, one of the realizations that I had, um, a couple years ago was I was looking for a new CPA and I wanted a CPA who owned real estate. I wanted a CPA who knew Airbnbs, short-term rentals. I wanted him to educate me. Cause I, I, at the time I was like, I was just using my CPA that I've used for years, but I knew that I wanted like my people that were on my team to feel like my friends, to feel like, okay, you're here because you're on my team. And so I think just having that mindset definitely has taken me aback from like, I don't want to just go to dinner, like you said, and like talk about things that are just like, uh, like, no, can we have real conversations? Um, but I, I think that's definitely for me, that's a goal for this next year and, and having this new platform after Love is Blind. Like I really do think that it's going to open up opportunities for me to make those connections and and not feel so alone in an in an industry that is so. Um, I think it would be intimidating. I think at, like I'm not saying it's been easy at all. So I would say that like real estate investing can be intimidating. And where do you start? And how do you begin? And it's been seven years, so this didn't happen overnight. Um, some people actually asked me, um, oh, so since you've, since you were on the show, you know, what have you done in real estate? And I'm like, okay, I've been doing this for seven years. Like <laughs> it's been time. Um, but, uh, so I'm excited. I'm super excited to take my knowledge of what I know and spread the word, but then also like learn as well. I'm, I'm so glad that we're talking about this. And just a last thing before we move on, I, I think so many rookies that are listening, feel the exact same way that both of you have just explained as well. And the good thing is, is that now, even if physically where you're at, maybe there isn't a strong community, there are so many different ways to get involved online or like you said, actually traveling to conferences. The Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, what asked for like 50, almost 60,000 members in that group right now, literally one of the most active, most engaged real estate Facebook groups that there are. Um, the Bigger Pockets Conference, there's different meetups. Like there are so many ways to surround yourself with people who are on the same journey as you or her, or maybe even a step ahead of you. And to me, that has been one of the biggest. I think like blessings of my career is getting to interact with people who have taken the steps that I'm looking to take to look back and say, Tony, it is possible, right? It is, it is achievable. You can do it. So I'm glad we're all kind of on that same page here. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Um, before we go too far, though, Nancy, we haven't, and we probably should have did this at the top of the show, we haven't really talked about like what your portfolio looks like, what strategies you're into. So can you give us like the 30,000 foot view of what your portfolio looks like today and what strategies you're using? Yeah. So I currently have five properties and um, o- over the last seven years, I've had up to nine properties. And it's funny because sometimes I forget, like whenever one gets sold and then unless it's tax season, like I, I kind of forget which one was like sold on what year. Um, but currently right now, uh, I have out of the five, two are, um, were bought cash only. Um, and, uh, just thinking ahead, I know this is off topic, but thinking ahead, like I want to really learn more about using those properties as leverage because I think my biggest fear is like my other properties do have mortgages on them and, um, and seeing that difference in cash flow, you know, is significant from a, 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 a cash only house versus a house that has a mortgage on it. Um, 
And then uh, currently I have one duplex and the other are single family homes. And I do focus now more on getting homes that have potential to be short-term rentals. Um, And then also anytime I consider a new property, I always want to ask myself, what are the other options? Because with regulations of short-term rentals right now in different cities, in a heartbeat, you know, they can ban, um, the, the short-term rental, uh, game. So, um, even just asking myself, can this be, uh, a sober living house? Can this be a house that, um, is rented per bedroom? Is this something that I can do, um, where I only rent to a specific genre of, um, professionals? So, um, I think where I'm at now with the portfolio is that I do want to continue to expand on that concept of, what are the multiple things that this one property can actually uh, bring in as far as tenants? Like what kind of tenants can actually be in the house? We, you know, we, we talk about that a lot because my, my entire portfolio is short-term rentals. And, you know, people ask me all the time, like, Tony, do you, um, you know, do you have an exit strategy for your short-term rentals? And we buy, because you're, you're in Dallas, which is a major metro. Every property that we own is in a true vacation destination where there is no, you know, business headquarters, universities or anything like that. So that's kind of how we hedge against the idea of regulation shifting is that we buy in markets that are somewhat economically dependent on short-term rentals operating in, in those markets. So there's definitely different ways to go about kind of achieving that that same goal. Um, so before we move on to our next segment, Nancy, I just want to talk a little bit because we, we've, we've touched on this a, a bit, but you you spoke about your, your upbringing and, and kind of the role that your parents played and this mindset you have about working hard and, you know, using your time effectively and, and hustling pretty much. You've come a long way, you know, from where your childhood was. So when you think about your parents, like what are, what is their reaction to the success you've had so far? And just what do they think of everything you've done so far? No, I, I think that, um, words can only go so far. So like, they're very proud, you know, they're very excited. Even like my dad telling me the first time he got recognized, like, cause someone recognized me that he was my dad, like in person a couple months ago. And he was just like beaming with joy. And he's like, you know, so there, I mean, words is one thing, but I think what I've seen in my family is the actions that they have taken. So even my mom, like paying off her house, paying off her cars. She's now doing real estate investing in the the town that I grew up in and she just bought a vacation home. So for me, that is like, okay, like I'm, I'm planting the seeds and letting them grow. Um, my dad too, like he'll call me one day and he's like, okay, I just sold another house. I have, you know, this much money. Like what should I do next? I'm like, dad, let's start investing in your, um, you know, Roth IRA or let's put some money here or let's, you know, so I think for me, it's the actions that I've seen my parents do that has just like any words are fine, but it's the actions that I've seen them, uh, implement in their lives. And they're actually still pretty young for my mom and dad. My mom will be 50 this year and my dad is in his mid fifties. So, um, there's still so much time that they have left. And I think they're really just seeing at least in the last, at seven years that I've been doing my success, um, in real estate and the mistakes that I've made along the way. Um, but they've, they've really just kind of took what I've been giving them as far as knowledge and, and really ran with it. That is so powerful. Just talking about how, yes, your parents could say they're so proud of you or what you're doing is awesome. Really cool. You've become so successful, but the fact that they are implementing and taking action on what you have shared with them goes, uh, it shows a million times stronger how much they actually 
value and like show how proud they are of you that they are going to go and, you know, model and do the same exact thing for themselves. And I think that that really does show like how proud of you they are and, you know, these amazing accomplishments that you have made. It, It really goes a long way seeing that action instead of just, you know, words, you know, you're right. They like make you feel good in the warm inside, but seeing someone physically do something and making those steps and plus being able to see your, your parents, you know, go to reach financial freedom. I mean, that's just amazing in itself and so awesome that they're following your footsteps. Okay. Well, Nancy, we uh, want to go into one of your deals. Did you have a deal in mind that you wanted to share with us? Okay. I'll tell you all about the hoarders. Okay. Nancy, what was um, the purchase price of this property? 170 And what market was it located in? It's in Garland, Texas. And is it a single family duplex? Yeah. Single family home. It was four bedrooms, th- two bath. And what was the intended strategy with this property? Um, so that one was an all cash property. And um, for that one, it was in really bad condition because it had a family that was uh, a hoarding family and they had about seven like cats and dogs in the home. Um, The house was packed, jam packed. And then the dad at one point wanted to start a restaurant. So (laughs) there was like this like exterior restaurant slash patio with more stuff in there. So essentially the goal was once everything is cleaned out, this could actually be a four bedroom, three bath. Um, and that's essentially what it converted to after rehab. And was it a short-term rental or a long-term rental? Oh yes. Um, so that was originally for a short-term rental and this is actually, I do have a question for y'all. So short-term rental, I recently read something, I think it was actually Amanda who said anything seven days or less is short-term rental. And anything, but I, but I've I've heard that thirty days or more or less is short term rental. Yeah. So from like a tax definition, um, to get the tax benefits of being a short term rental, your average stay has to be less than seven days. But typically, from like a, a county city code enforcement perspective, a short term rental is thirty days or less. Okay, so it was a uh, long-term rental. So I wanted 30 days or more for this particular property. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how did you find the deal? Uh, the deal was actually emailed to my realtor, who is my business partner. And um, he's part of an email chain of other wholesalers, investors. And um, and I think the list price was actually 190 And he got him down to 170 Okay, so do you want to kind of take us through the story of the property as to how did you get all of this stuff out of the house, the rehab, and then how the numbers ended up on the deal? Yeah. And can I just ask one clarifying question? You said that the this owner wanted to start a restaurant, like he wanted to start a restaurant at the actual home, like he was trying to turn the home into a restaurant. There was this outdoor patio that he constructed and like enclosed. So it was like an outdoor indoor patio, but he had like all the restaurant equipment there in his mind. People were just going to come through like the side of the street, I guess, and be like, hi, come to my restaurant. Um, so really, really neat guy. Like he, he, um, really nice people. But I think, I think just a lot of dreams that were, were started and then never like really followed through. Yeah. Um, because there was some interesting equipment that was in the house and just when, so, okay. So it was funny because the day that I went to go see the house, um, the owners weren't there, but the, the, the children were, and they were all of age 18 and up, I believe. Um, and so 
they're taking us through this house and it's, it's, it's like a maze. I mean, I thought I was on, you know, hoarders, like, um, like the, the TV show, because even just to walk through the pathways, like to get through the living room, to go to the kitchen and the kitchen was actually non-functioning. They had like a grill on the side. And so, um, so there was just a lot of, um, very much like, this house needs a lot of love. And when this house gets a lot of love, we're going to reconstruct some of the rooms and have that third bathroom um, be a thing. And so I think what happened is that, again, just like going through the process, we actually got it. We bought the house and it. we also uh, got a lease back because their house that they were moving into kept getting delayed on their closing date. So when I bought the house in October, I didn't actually get access to the house until January um, because it went from, oh, hey, our house is going to be ready in November. Nope. And then it got pushed back again to December. So we actually, um, I was able to charge them rent, um, lease back for a few months, which gave me time to replenish my funds because I expunged everything to get that deal. It was my biggest cash deal that I had done. And so um, I had expunged everything that I could find um, to be able to get the money to to upload this. And then again, just working my job and having the cash flow of the other real estate properties. At that point, by January, I had a good cushion to put into um, having a contractor do the work. And this was something that, again, my biggest project that I bought cash, but then also my first project that I only used a contractor and I did not lift a finger. That was a new experience for me because I, uh, my dad's background is, is, is he owns a, a remodeling company, not in Dallas, but about two hours away. So for me, I'm like, oh, my dad can do it or my dad can come help on the weekend. Um, this property was was in pretty bad shape that once the, the, they, the lease back was over and the tenants moved out, which were the you know, previous owners, um, they actually did a really good job of getting everything out of that house. The, the wife on the very last day actually came back and she swept and she mopped the entire house. Um, so I was again, very thankful, very blessed that this family was open to clearing out their stuff. But I think the lease back had a lot to do with it because I could have easily, and even at the lease back, I charged them, maybe it was 1500 when market rent was like close to 2000. So I knew that I was taking a cut, but I also knew that I wanted to play nice and give them an incentive to stay as long as they kind of needed to in a reasonable amount of time. Um, and then not leave with, you know, a bad attitude. <laughs> Nancy, I, I, just really quick, because I think that's an important lesson for rookies to understand, because you've done it now twice, where you made it a win-win situation for the tenants that were already in the house to leave the property somewhat timely and the property in a condition that was easier for you as a new owner. In the first situation, you literally paid them to do the work, which was, I don't think I've ever heard anyone doing that before. In this situation, giving them a break on the market rent to, like you said, play nice with them so that they could clean up all that stuff that they had inside the property. So if there's a lesson for the Ricky listeners, it's if you are in a situation where you're inheriting tenants that you hope leave, what is a way that you can structure that situation so it becomes a win-win situation for both you and for that person? So I just wanted to point that out, but please continue with the story. Yeah, and so thank you. And so then after that, once the real, uh, once the rehab started on that property, um, my job at that time was to focus on the other properties that I currently had, um, managing those. And so really the contractor took over. He had the list. Um, 
Interesting enough, though, that was my first time, too, having to pay a contractor on a weekly basis. Like every Friday, he got a paycheck, no matter what work was done or not. And so there was a time that Dallas had a really bad ice storm and our pipes had busted in that particular house. And the whole house was like flooded, you know, to a certain point. I think part of the house was flooded to a certain point. And that wasn't part of the original bill. But he also had taken the week off because it was an ice storm. So, you know, we had to compromise on like, okay, well, you didn't come to work this week. So why don't we add these pipes, um, you know, getting fixed into um, the, uh, the contract and going that way. And so um, once that project was done, so that project took from January um, till about actually when I left for the show, they were still working on it. So probably about June, um, from January to June is how long it took. However, he said, I remember, um, when we made the deal at first, he was like, Oh, nine weeks. And then nine weeks turned into almost, you know, six months. Um, so that was a learning lesson too, that, um, you know, just the trust that I would have in my team to be able to help me. Like I could have done better if I would have just hired my own subcontractors and everyone has a specific job. It'll be done in a shorter amount of time. Um, but that was also, like I said, a lesson learned of when I get the the bundle deal of a contractor says, I'll do it all really means I can do most things, but I'm not an expert at everything. So it might take me two weeks to do drywall. It might take me, you know, two weeks to do flooring. Actually, he ended up not doing the flooring. And then I had to subcontract, um, the flooring guy. And we just deducted that from the, the final bill. But once that property was done, um, it took me about a month to furnish that property, um, have it listed as an Airbnb. Um, and I also use other outlets as well, like VRBO and Furnish Finder. Um, and so that property initially, once it late, once it dropped, like, I don't think that property has been vacant for more than two weeks. And that was since 2021. Yeah. And I've gotten really lucky that, um, I set, for that particular property at the time, I set my settings at a certain um, 30 days or more. So anyone who wanted to come for the weekend really couldn't. And so what I found is that that's initially how the property launched was just booking uh, working professionals who were coming for two to three months to the area. And then um, when it got a little bit slower, I think it was at about the two week mark, I did drop down to 14 days. Um, and so I think it's just really working with that longer stay just gives me more benefit um, in less turnover and less wear and tear, less, um, just overall kind of less headache <laughs> when I have more longer term stays. So Nancy, in, in an entire 12 month period, how much money do you think you'll gross and what'll, what'll be your net on that property ballpark? Yeah. So that property, I would say on average was about, the gross was about 6,000 a month. So that was about, uh, 72,000 a year, um, for that property. And do you know, like ballpark, what is your net on that? I know you don't, because you pay cash for this, so there's no mortgage. So your expenses are probably super low, right? Like we're talking utilities and like... Exactly. So actually, because this this was the first biggest property that I have done ca- that I had done cash, it was also the first one that was bringing in six thousand before bills were paid. So net after that was probably closer to four thousand, uh, maybe forty five hundred, um, because it does have a pool. So we do have like maintenance come in um, for pool maintenance, which is pretty pricey in this area. Um, and I think and I think what really worked so well with that property is that 
it is the location of it is so central to the rest of Dallas. So not necessarily just downtown where, you know, people think like, oh, I sh- I need to buy a house closer to where it's up and popping, you know, but really no, like there are so many other surrounding areas that people come to Garland for and they're wanting to travel to Plano or um, all the way to Raleigh or Rockwall. So I think the location too was a really sweet spot for that property. So typically when I look at and when I talk to people about short-term rentals, I say you want your annual gross revenue to be at least 20% of your purchase price. So with you at $72,000, you're more than double that at almost 40%. So that's a that's a slam dunk deal, Nancy. And congrats to you for, uh, for knocking it out the park with that one. Just one thing I want to mention before we move on. Um, this house, you know, was a, a hoarder home. Um, and you know, Ash, I'm sure you've bought properties like this. I know I brought properties like this as well, where they, you're almost surprised or shocked when you walk into some of these properties and you see the condition that some, some people are living in. Um, we have a property under contract right now that you can literally see the like sunshine coming through the roof in the living room. And it's like, that, those aren't conditions people should be living in. And real estate investors, oftentimes they, they get this bad rap for buying properties and making them beautiful. But in reality, we're taking what was unlivable for many people and turning into a property that's going to improve the value of the neighborhood. It's going to be a great experience for guests that are coming on a short-term basis or your tenants if they're they're there for the long-term. So um, I know sometimes as as a real estate investor, you can feel kind of bad that you're, you know, there's all this negative talk, but in reality, I think we are really doing doing a positive work in a a lot of communities. Yeah. And I think if anything, it really just opens up the mindset to that um, real estate is a form of income. Real estate is a form of investment. So I, I would, I would hope that in that, like you said, like I've, I've hosted from, you know, um, families traveling for medical reasons. One of the properties is four minutes away from the major hospital that we have in Dallas. So, you know, it's, it's not always like the, I think the the favorite word people like to use online is like the slum landlord. And, you know, and it's like, no, like I'm taking these properties and in and, and, and areas too that are maybe not so favorable, but making it livable, making it accessible for a family. Um, and in my seven years, I haven't always turned a property into an Airbnb um, or a short-term rental. Sometimes it was just flipping it and holding it and housing, um, for example, undocumented um, workers that were um, in a position where the house that they were in, would di- that that landlord did not have good living conditions for them, didn't fix anything, uh, bought that house, put up the sign, and within the next day they walked over and they were like, wow, we would love to live here. Um, and seeing that they didn't have credentials or credit history or anything, you know, I took a chance on them at the time and they've been tenants for four years now and take great care of that house. Um, and again, just knowing that I'm able to, um, offer that kind of opportunity for someone. Um, for me, it's like, there's so many aspects of, um, real estate that you can get into, whether it's short-term rental or other options as well. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for sharing that deal with us and also, you know, an insight as to some of the other investments you have done. Um, We really appreciate uh, you sharing your knowledge. And I think there is definitely a lot of value from this whole episode, but especially that deal as you broke down the numbers and exactly how you did it. Um, We're going to move on to our rookie exam where we have 
three questions to ask you. And the first one is, what is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Yeah. So I think the first step is definitely understanding your numbers, understanding your finances, how much money is coming out, how much is going out. And I think that concept is what worked for me. It was going through the NACA process and them forcing me to know my numbers for me to then realize where I'm overspending, where I can penny pinch, um, where I can increase my income to be able to move forward in whatever financial plans I have, whether that's real estate or um, investing in general. Awesome, Nancy. All right. Question number two, what's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business? I could not live without Expensify life-changing, um, the automated receipts that I use, um, for all of the properties. I mean, it's one thing to say, Oh, I'm going to take a picture and I'll upload it later. No expensive. makes you do it right there, right then in the report. And it's super easy to, um, automatically upload. And then on a monthly basis, just go through receipts, make sure that the smart upload is correct. Um, and that the numbers look good matching the receipts. That's interesting. Does that, does that connect with QuickBooks? You know, I think there is actually a feature for that through QuickBooks. QuickBooks has their own built into the app. Yeah. Have you used Expensify, Ash, or do you know? No, no, I've never even heard of it. Yeah, I think this is the first time someone has recommended it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Nancy, where do you plan on being in five years? What is your goal or what do you want to accomplish? In five years, I think for me, the term really leaving a legacy for my family when it comes to real estate I want to be able to have enough of that passive income, um, more of that hands-off investing that is happening that I would be able to take care of my family. I would be able to, um, you know, have more memories that I would cherish with my mom and dad and um, my brothers as well. And I think that um, for me, like that's who I'm doing it for. And, um, if anything, like money will come and go, but it's the experiences that, you know, you make with the money that you do have. And it doesn't have to be extravagant and luxury luxurious, but, you know, I think just creating more of those bonds and memories with my family is super important. Nancy, well, I love that. And I think that's a big goal for so many of us get into this world of real estate investing. So um, you've been fantastic. Absolutely love this conversation. Uh, before we start to wrap things up, I just want to give a shout out to this week's Ricky Rockstar. Uh, this week's Ricky Rockstar is Gray Clifton. And Gray just closed on a duplex, uh, added $440 per month to uh, uh, to their passive income stream. They've got a goal of getting to $3,000 per month. They're about halfway there. They bought this duplex for $179, uh, put down, uh, I don't know, 20% it looks like, and their cash on, like I said, about $450 a month for a 10% cash on cash return. So congrats to you, Gray, for knocking out the park that duplex and being halfway to your cash flow goal. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated you taking the time to come onto the show and share your experience and your knowledge with everybody Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an amazing platform. I am now on YouTube, Nancy Rodriguez Life. And I think what's really neat about that platform is that it's going to be explaining more of the details and the where I started, the how real estate investing has worked for me and all the the details of that history. So I'm super excited about that content Um, on Instagram and TikTok is the Nancy Rodriguez. You can follow me there as well because I will be posting 
doing um, updates and clips as well from the YouTube um, channel. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to checking out your YouTube channel. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back with a rookie reply on Saturday. Thank you guys so much for joining us. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.